invite you to turn your Bibles this uh, morning to the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We are continuing our series on living in victory and uh, kind of been looking at several passages, but we've kind of been focusing now over the past few weeks on Romans chapter 8. And we're going to really just look at two verses today. We're kind of getting that part of Romans where you kind of have to put on the brakes a little bit and really just uh, soak it in. Just a lot of truth that's here. And I pray that this will be a blessing to you. Uh, We're going to be looking at today, help from the Holy Spirit. So once you find your place there in Romans 8, and we're going to begin reading in verse 26. We'll read verses 26 and 27 together. The Bible says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Here in these verses, again, this is, uh, I forget what number we're on now in this series here, but we've looked in Romans 8 for a while. And just as a, try to do a little bit of a recap of this, uh, Romans chapter, the first four verses really have to do with our position in Christ, who we are in Christ. Uh, a lot of, there's a lot of Christians who maybe feel a little bit unsettled on Exactly who they are as a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? How do you identify a Christian? A lot of times uh, there are days where we don't necessarily feel like we're a Christian or we don't feel like we're saved or we don't feel like God loves us. But one thing I want us to direct our, our minds to in Romans 8, it says in verse 1 again, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That sets the stage for everything else, builds that foundation. That's our position in Christ that we are His. We are no longer condemned because of our sin, because of our past, but we are rather uh, now justified, declared righteous. We are now have a right standing before God. And so praise God for that. So at the beginning, there's no condemnation. At the end of Romans 8, there's no separation. There's nothing that will separate us from God's love. And then, so in the middle of these verses here, it's really talking about how do we live for the Lord? What do we do now with that, that standing that we have? So again, our, our freedom, our freedom that we have as believers is found in our position in Christ, that we are His child. We are, we are saved. We are no longer, uh, condemned. We are justified. And then also, how does that happen? That's through the, the promise of the Spirit or the law of the Spirit. Uh, again, it's the power that Jesus has. And then how that was accomplished was that through the Savior's sacrifice. That enables us to live righteously. That's verses 3 and 4. Verses 5 through 8 deal with the battle of the mindsets, that we have that opposing struggle. Uh, this is really talking about believers versus unbelievers, but those who, in our past life, we were slated for death. But now we are given life in the Spirit. And so this is a, a very important idea. To be cardinally minds death, or is enmity to God. It's not subject to law, neither can be. And also that we that are in the flesh cannot please God. That's verse 8. And again, the kind of simple idea that we have here, there's just two choices on the shelf. What? Pleasing God or pleasing self. Okay, so, but here we are as believers, as we are no longer condemnation, and by the power of the Spirit, that is how we live righteously. That is how we live for the Lord, is by the power of the Spirit. The sinner, the the unsaved person, the unredeemed, uh, remember they are really, in talking about warfare, they're on the opposite side. They're warring against God, whether they realize it or not. But we as believers, we are on that side. And how do we, though, live for the Lord? How do we live for our commander-in-chief, so to speak? It's by living for him. Just two choices on the shelf, pleasing God or pleasing self. And that's done by the Spirit. So the key, though, to having this victory 
And living in victory is having a spiritual mind. It's simply a mind that's submitted to Jesus Christ. Being submitted to Jesus Christ, taking up your cross, denying self, and following him. So this is uh, very important as we see this is going to lay out several things for us today. We talked about then, verses 12 and 3, that we are no longer debtors to the flesh. In other words, we have no obligation to live after the flesh, after our, our sinful desires. As believers, we have a, the Spirit who lives within us, the indwelling Spirit that helps us to mortify the flesh. Put that to death. That should not be a part of our lives, but rather we should be led by the Spirit of God. So living by the Spirit is to be led by the Spirit as children of God. Remember, we talked about that the Spirit is always leading us. Remember that we said sometimes Christians feel, I've, I've heard from many people, I'm just waiting around for God to tell me what to do. Guess what? He already has. He is constantly leading us uh, in many ways. He's kind of re he always reminds us of who we are in Christ, that we are adopted son or children of God. But also, he also reminds us that you're no longer in the flesh. Don't live after the flesh. Get away from the fleshly desires and live after the spirit. He always helps us in that. So the spirit is always leading us in that regard. And not only are we led by the spirit, we're also loved by the spirit. Praise God for that. How do we know that we're loved by the spirit? Verses uh, 16 and 17 talks about that we have we are uh, adopted, we are joint heirs with Christ in that regard. And we talked about this adoption as something, it's more than just being brought into a family. This is, you're given a special status, an inheritance, everything. And what does that look like? You have a, you're sharing the inheritance of heaven with Jesus. Pretty amazing when you think about that. And this really gives us an inner assurance of God's truth. The Holy Spirit gives us that inner assurance of God's truth that we are no longer under condemnation. We don't have to live that way. We're not under the bondage of the flesh anymore. Back in Romans chapter 7, you can read through that again on your own, but Paul talks about that inward struggle. You know, I, I want to do this, but this kind of, the, the flesh gets in the way. I'm in that conflict, so to speak. And here in chapter 8, you almost lose all those personal pronouns. Look what's happening to me, to I, to, to what's going on in my flesh. And here you have really a spirit comes forth. In chapter 8, one of the big emphasis that Paul is writing here in the Romans is a, is a look at the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit here is mentioned uh, basically around 19 times. In that regard, this, there's a lot of uh, activity that's going on. The Holy Spirit, and we're going to kind of see something that we often overlook is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. The Holy Spirit is probably the most personal thing, or personal person, you should say, of God being with you. We talk about Jesus being with us, God watching over us, but guess what? His Spirit is always in us. He lives in us and through us. I think that's, that's absolutely amazing. That's a very close relationship that we have. So with that, we have an assurance. We will share in the glories of Christ and also the suffering. So let's park for a little bit and do a quick review from last week or last couple of weeks, I should say. Verse 17 says this, And if children then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, with Christ, that we be glorified together. In the, in, especially in Romans and other places as well, Paul links these words together of suffering and glory. They go together. A lot of times we want the glory without any suffering. Okay? We want the glory without any suffering, but in God's work, those things go together. It says in verse 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
And so we talked about this, that living in the Spirit is the joy of the believer, but what do we do with the struggles of this life, of the sufferings of this present time? Okay, many of you have gone through or are going through or will go through sufferings. We are at the beginning of the service. We gave a kind of this very long list of uh, things that are happening in our church family right now. And there's a lot of, we could say, groanings, if you will, of waiting for that redemption of our bodies, waiting for that brighter day of coming. That's what we talked about last week. There's a glory of a brighter day that the that creation itself is growing, literally groaning, literally meaning standing on its tiptoes, waiting in expectation of the redeemed world when Jesus Christ does come back. Remember when God created this world and everything in it, what did he say at the end of his creation? He said everything that he saw was what? Very good. But obviously, Genesis chapter 3, things went cattywampus. That's a fancy Hebrew word, okay? <laughs> All right? But nonetheless, everything changed because of sin. Sin affected everything. It affects us in our sinful condition. But whether, we don't really realize it, perhaps, but sin has affected this world as we know it as well. Just the tragedies that have been experienced this week is just a simple evidence. Like, we have innocent people getting innocently hurt and even, unfortunately, loss of life. Look at what happened uh, in Hawaii this week. The numbers keep climbing of those who have perished because of the wildfires that came up all of a sudden. Now, were these people righteous or unrighteous? We don't know that. But the fact of the matter is, Jesus even talked about that um, in the Gospels. And those that suffer greatly lost their lives because of tragedies is this, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. In other words, each and every one of us will face death. We will face suffering in this world, and that's simply an effect of the sin that, that came upon this world. It affects this person, but also affects creation. So Paul is saying here in uh, Romans 8, in uh, verses uh, 20, 21, 22, verse, look at verse 22, for example. We know that creation groaneth together and travaileth in pain together until now. It, it talks about the illusion of, uh, of, uh, of um, delivery pains, birth pains, for example. As the baby is about ready to come this week, we had a baby that was born into the church family, okay? And so what a, what a blessing that is. But uh, Natalie was excited and happy. I think she was waiting a little bit long, wanting to wait a little longer, but here comes the baby. Okay, the joy has come with all the trials that she went through, just being on bed rest in the hospital, and now she has, she's experienced that joy. So the idea is that creation groaneth. It's like that inward sigh, but it's not a groaning of like desperation. It's a groaning of expectation of like what's on the horizon. We talked about that better day of coming. It talks about here that there's a purpose for pain and suffering though in this world. Remember that God doesn't waste suffering. Remember that the path to glory, we talked about the glory that we're experiencing, is also the path of suffering with Jesus. The road to future glory, the question is, is it worth the present pain that we deal with? That's the question we have to ask. Is We know that one day, you look at the end of Romans 8, one day we will be glorified, we'll have our glorified bodies, but is that worth the present pain that we're going through right now? And Paul says, Absolutely. But at this moment, it doesn't feel like it. Right now, it hurts. Right now, it stings. I was talking with, with the Zachmans this week. Actually, we were going over these very verses with, with them. And, and Mark says, yes, I know we have that hope in Christ. I know we have that. But it says, right now, it really hurts. I said, I understand. We, we get that. And that's a part of our groaning that we have in this world. But we believe that there is 
a glory that awaits us. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Creation groans, is standing on its tiptoes for a brighter day. But not only does creation groan, the Christian groans as well. Verses 23 through 25 talk about that groaning that we have within the Spirit. And what is that groaning? Really, we're also looking for how our bodies and how our, our uh, that the glory that awaits us. Uh, Titus 2.13 talks about looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And in doing that, it says here in verse 25, But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. This is talking about with perseverance or endurance, we eagerly wait for it. That's the idea. So what do we do in this meantime as we wait the Lord's return or until we go to heaven? What do we do in this meantime? We basically wait with eager expectation. Like I said, we're on our tiptoes waiting for that brighter day of coming. Yes, it might hurt in the time being that we have, but compared to glory with heaven, all of our sorrows, I believe, will just be a memory in the light of heaven's dome. Praise God for that. So in the meantime, though, what keeps our hope bright? What will keep your hope bright during this time of affliction? during the time of suffering that you may be going through right now and that our church family has gone through. What keeps our hope bright? And that is simply the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is something beautiful that God in His divine plan has given every believer. The indwelling Holy Spirit is there to minister to us and to keep our hope alive. Rest in the Spirit. Trust in the Spirit. So the thing is this. How do we make it through suffering? Hold your place in Romans 8. Go back to Romans 5. Go back to Romans 5 and look at a few verses here. Romans 5 and beginning in verse 1. This kind of starts actually, Romans 5 through 8 is a very good passage on just being justified by faith, what it looks like. It says here in verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith in His grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the Hope of the glory of God. That's very much what we just read about here just in in Romans 8. Very similar thought. But look at this. That hope of glory. What does it come with? Look at verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in what? Tribulations. Put in sufferings. Put in affliction. Trials. Whatever it may be. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Patience experience and experience Hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. There's a there's the Holy Spirit working right there, which is given unto us. In other words, Paul is saying, this, this is really amazing, seeing how this goes together. Romans 5 and uh, Romans 8 kind of work as bookends to show us this, that the glory that we have in Christ also comes with the sufferings. But who is there every step of the way with us? The Holy Spirit. God has not abandoned you during your dark times. God has not forsaken you when you go through serious trials. When the day seems dark, gloomy, whatever thought you may have about that, God is with you because why? He has given His Holy Spirit. So my question is this. You're going through suffering. Well, how do you make it through suffering? It's through hope. Hope in Christ and hope that is basically magnified by the Holy Spirit, the love of God that's shed abroad in our hearts. That is how we make it through the suffering. 
Praise God for that promise. The world, and we've mentioned this before, you go into other places. I was counting this week. I think I went through to visited six uh, healthcare facilities this week, different healthcare facilities for different things going on. Uh, I've lost count, okay? With that in mind, how do people get through this? I remember uh, it was this past Thursday, uh, Marcy was in the emergency room. She had fallen, and fortunately she's okay through all that. But Scott and I, we actually got there at the same time together, and that emergency room at, at Mercy was overflowing. I mean, there was people waiting in the regular waiting area, the regular lobby of the hospital, not just the ER lobby, and with all kinds of things going on. You can just imagine. And I don't know about you, but you kind of are shocked a little bit when you see that. Now, if you've been in that profession, you know, you maybe become a little numb to it as part of the job, but it was just kind of in a sense, quickly for a second, it was a little bit overwhelming to walk through that. I don't know about you, for you, Scott. And then you go in and you attend to your mother, attend to Marcy, our church member here, our sister in Christ. How do you do, deal with that? And we have to rest simply in the hope of Jesus Christ. And who helps us with that? It's the Holy Spirit. God is working in your life. He is not going to forsake you. He will not leave you. Mark and Linda, they've said many times, I've been talking to them almost every day this week, and they said, I don't know how we're doing except without Christ. They said, we are trusting in Jesus. We want victory to know that we are trusting in Jesus. We're trusting that the Holy Spirit's with them. What a blessing that is. So here's the thing. We need hope, and we need help. And hope, and there's a good answer. The Holy Spirit is within us, will answer those needs that we have. Each and every one of us, the world needs hope, the world needs help, the Holy Spirit will answer that need. I want to share a little story to kind of illustrate this. Uh, when we were living in Tennessee, and many of you know I was involved with the, uh, the uh, uh, Everlasting Nation Museum that we have at our, our mission headquarters. There's many of you have been through it. Half of the church has been there, it seems like. But anyway, uh, in a couple of years ago, I had the privilege of uh, becoming good friends with a lady by the name of Leanne Brown. Leanne Brown, um, she actually grew up in East Prussia, Instaburg, which is now a part of Russia today. Long story, but anyways, Leanne Brown, when she was 10 years of age, she remembered living in East Prussia. She remembered uh, uh, the motorcade of Adolf Hitler going through their town of 55,000 people. And she says she saw Hitler uh, right there on the street, going right by her. And uh, she said, when I saw him, I had just like, man, he's evil. She, as a young girl, she had that, that sense that he was just evil. I hated him when, when she saw him. And, and uh, this was at the beginning of the war and we didn't really know what was going on for sure. But nonetheless, as the, the horrors of the war happened, they were a Christian family. And uh, of course, as the war was ending, uh, there was some wondering what was going to happen. The, the Red Army, the Russian Army, was starting to come into the area in Prussia now and to take over that area. And uh, the last trains had left, leaving many people stranded in this town at the mercy of the Russian Army. What was going to happen to them? Where, what, was, what was their fate going to be? And Leanne says this, that the testimony of her family's steadfast face and their struggle uh, in this survival amidst this horror the Russians were, it was not a good situation that was coming upon. They just had that, that ominous feeling about that. But she said that God's sustaining grace really kept the family uh, together, even though that they were still torn apart by the war. As the Russian army came in, she said that many people gave up hope. 
many people uh, commit suicide and doing other things just to escape the horrors that were awaiting them. And yet Leanne's mother was steadfast in her love and hope in God. She said this, that she relied on the indwelling Holy Spirit, and she cried out daily in prayer. In fact, her mother, since she was little, had made it a practice of daily prayer. And she was known as in the village as a woman of prayer. Um, anyways, on the day of the town surrender, that was January 29th of 1945, uh, towards the end of the war, as the Russians were coming in, the day of the surrender, 21 people gathered into the Browns' small home, and they cried out to her, saying, Teach us to pray. Please pray for us. Uh, many of them and previously had mocked them for their belief in, in Christ. But now they were turning to, to the family, Lord, teach us to pray, or teach us to pray, help us to pray. And the Lord protected her and the girls from many threats. In fact, uh, they had guns pointed at their heads, people who come and try to attack the family, but nonetheless, God protected them at every turn. And even after the war, Leanne's mother was put into a Russian uh, prison for a while. And uh, eventually they reunited in West Germany in a, in a refugee camp. Eventually, they made their way to the United States, and uh, the Lord just protected them at every, every turn, and they were given a new freedom coming here to the United States uh, in the uh, late 1940s. But they said this, that they learned to trust in God, and they prayed in the power of the Holy Spirit. In surviving the war, they understood God's blessing and protection on them. Now, not everyone, of course, in that village faced that same fate. But we praise God that through that, and so Leanne became a good friend of ours, an amazing story of how really their rest in the Holy Spirit to guide them through the struggles of war and uncertainty that befell them, it really helped them to continue on. So with that in mind, we now take a few minutes here to look at these two verses that we started out with in Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. Again, it says here, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So in this verse here, we see that, first of all, the Holy Spirit helps us in our infirmity, or really in our weakness. This is talking about really kind of a, a general weakness that we have. Uh, can be spiritual weakness, but also can be referred to our physical weaknesses that we have as well. And we see here the role of the Holy Spirit in that. The Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is our comforter. Uh, the paraclete is the, the Greek word. It literally means one who comes alongside. It's like a doctor who comes along a patient's bedside to, to help. Or like a lawyer who comes to the defense of his client. Which, that's a beautiful picture, 1 John 2, 1. That if any man sin, we what? We have an advocate with a father, a lawyer. Jesus Christ the righteous. What better lawyer? I mean, you can't pay enough money. It's priceless. Having Jesus as our advocate. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is like our advocate as well, our comforter, and helps us there. It's interesting that, what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit helps uh, our infirmity. What does that mean, helpeth? It's interesting that this Greek word is only used here and in Luke chapter 10, talking about Mary and Martha. Remember when Mary and Martha were uh, hosting Jesus? And remember, Martha was in the kitchen, working up a storm. And what was Mary doing? sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what does Martha do? She comes and she says, hey, can Jesus, can you have Mary come and help me? That word help is the same word that we have here. And think about that. The business of the help that we have, we are so busy in life, we need a little bit of help. Martha wanted Mary to come help her with the duties there. But even so, in our lives, 
in our sufferings and our groanings that we have in this life, we also need a little help. And who comes to our aid? The Comforter, the Holy Spirit. That's the picture that we have here. You know, but in this, when we talk about this, he says in verse 26, for we know not what to pray for as we ought. The Holy Spirit makes this intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. So the question is this, sometimes we really don't know how or what to pray for. Why is that? Because we walk by faith and not by sight. There's a lot of situations that are before us, and we see things and see things that need to be done. We get frustrated in our prayers. It's like, in fact, we sometimes get to a point, what else is there to pray about? We've kind of run out of our list. We're just going over it again and again and again. It become frustrated. The thing is, we walk by faith and not by sight. So how do we apply this in a real life? And we had some really, we've had a lot of really um, strong examples with the Zachmans, for example, or others. But let me just give you a scenario. Let's say someone is diagnosed with cancer. Hate that word, don't we? But if someone is diagnosed with cancer, how should that person pray when they find their diagnosis? Do we pray for deliverance from the disease? Or should we pray for endurance to endure the affliction of the disease? Knowing that maybe the Lord will take us home through that. Which is the right way to pray? I'll be honest with you, I think both are fine. We want to be delivered from that. But when we get to say that there's nothing more that can be done except a miracle, we face that this week with Gracie. My heart breaks. We cried out, you cried out. God, will you please deliver this young girl from this suffering and this affliction. Will you please be with the Zachmans in helping that? But yet, according to God's will, God did not deliver in the way that we wanted to, but yet he helped us endure the affliction as well. And here's the bottom line is this. How does the Spirit help us? He does it according, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray according to God's will. Let God's will be done. I tell you what, that's not easy. In fact, that's probably not even good preaching nowadays. You want to hear the fluffy stuff, that God will make your life a bed of roses. Yeah, when we get to heaven, it will be, and we'll frolic in that. I'll be there too, okay? But as we think about this, the Holy Spirit in this suffering right now, do we pray for deliverance or do we pray for endurance? I would say pray for both and let God's will be done. And the Holy Spirit will help us in that regard. Remember Paul, the apostle, he prayed three times for God to remove a thorn in the flesh. We still don't really know what that was about per se exactly. But what was the promise that was given to the apostle Paul? That I'm not going to remove the thorn, but my grace will be sufficient for you. I will help you endure that affliction. You know, it's interesting. Of all the things that the disciples talked to Jesus about, there's one thing specifically that they asked him to do. Lord, teach us to pray. Like what one commentator says this, that there is no reason why we should faint under the burdens of the affliction, seeing that prayers minister to us a most sure help, which cannot be frustrated, seeing that they proceed from the Spirit of God who indwells within us. In other words, there are times where you feel under the burden of this affliction that you're going to faint, you're going to lose it, you're going to give up. But the prayers that are there by the Holy Spirit help us continue for that. Here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit helps us in our infirmities and our weaknesses, for we know not what we should pray for as we are. There are some times where we basically don't have any more words because it says here, for the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us or prays for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Remember, we talked about that creation groans. We talked about the 
the Christian that groans because of this, and then now the Holy Spirit groans, in a sense, with us in that regard, with groanings that cannot be uttered. What is this talking about? First of all, the Holy Spirit helps us with this intercession. He bears our burdens, as it were, so we do not faint under it. These groanings which cannot be uttered, the groanings here refer to sighs or things that are too deep for words, where you just, don't, I don't even know what to pray about. So, but the question is this, whose groanings are these? Huh, that's an interesting thought. Who's groaning? Does the Spirit groan? The Spirit, we talk about, we have weaknesses and infirmities. The Holy Spirit doesn't. God doesn't have any weakness. He doesn't have any infirmities. He's pure. He's holy. He's all-powerful. We do. So the groaning is this. Here's the point I think what is, is going on here. I believe this, that the Holy Spirit may use our groanings to stir within us so that we are his with our being brought before God. In other words, our groanings becomes his groanings. Just like a lawyer, he's not going through that trial himself, but guess what? He's carrying, in a sense, the groanings or the defense, whatever that his client may be going through, and guess what? He bears that before the judge. In the same way, the Holy Spirit takes our groanings, what we have going inside our hearts right now, and guess what? The Holy Spirit says, hey, let me take that for you, and I will bring it to the Father. When we are at a loss for words of how to pray, and I know many of you have been there, you've done that, and you like say, God, I don't even know what to say anymore. Guess what? The Holy Spirit is there to bring that to the Lord, to bring that to the Father. What a blessing that is. Here's something we should, should understand. One commentator says this, our inability to pray as precisely as we would like to is no hindrance to the working out of God's perfect will for our lives. We may not know what to ask in a given situation, but the Spirit does. A lot of times you go through that list and you want to be precise, and I think that's a good effort to do, but there's some times where it's like, throw your prayer list out the window, I don't even know what to say anymore. <laughs> the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what to say for us. Talking about the groanings that we have, what groanings do you have? Talking about when we are at a loss for words. I remember we were, uh, remember this on Thursday, uh, Scott, we were I was talking with Marcy. And in her therapy, actually, one of the therapists took her to where she's at in New Brighton to the little keyboard, the little piano there. And you know, Marcy likes to play, play the keyboard, likes to play the piano. And she just struggled. She really couldn't do it. And that grieved her. And so I said, Marcy, do you have a song in your heart? Yes. <laughs> I think that's a great illustration. Sometimes physically or mentally, spiritually, he's like, man, I can't do it anymore. I can't play it. But the Lord, through his spirit, has given us a song in his heart. What is it said in, in Ephesians chapter 5? Be not drunk with wine or success, but be filled with the spirit. What? Singing to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit that kicks in and helps you do what God wants you to do. Living in the spirit. That's what happens, or in a sense, praying in the Spirit that way. You know, the groanings that we have, this really recalls the children of Israel in bondage. What is it they did? They groaned in their bondage, in their slavery, and guess what? God heard their groanings, Exodus 6, verse 5. God heard the groanings. In other words, this, God understands our pain, our sorrows, and our sufferings. So my challenge is to us today, when you're at a loss for words, pray anyway, sigh anyway, and let the Holy Spirit aid you in prayer. It's really simple. But let God do that work. So the Holy Spirit helps us in our infirmities. He helps us with intercession. And last, the Holy Spirit helps us to pray according to the will of God. Verse 25. 
And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Here it really is the Trinity at work. Think about that. We are found in our position in Christ, the Son of God. And here the God the Father basically superintends, knows the mind of the Spirit who intercedes for us according to the will of God. This is the Trinity working together on our behalf to bring us to Him. What amazing thought that is. When we think about this, Jesus intercedes for us as well. Look, in, look down to verse 34. We're talking about the Holy Spirit interceding. Look in verse 34. It says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Jesus, or is, is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who, what? Also maketh intercession for us. What a beautiful idea this is. You have the Spirit and the Son interceding for us, and that should give you confidence that nothing can separate you from God. That is beautiful, right? We, we see here this. We see also that God knows and he searcheth the hearts. As it says here in verse 27, he searcheth the heart. That reminds me of, of Psalm 139, a beautiful psalm. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? God knows. He knows the hearts. He knows my downside, my uprising. At the very end of that psalm, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Isn't that the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us back to him? Over and over, that is. God knows us uh, inside and out. So behold God's omniscience, his all-knowing, his omnipotence, his power, and his omnipresence. The thing is this. If God can work in the hearts of Mark and Linda Zachman and their family this week, God is also working in your hearts this week at the same time. That's God's omnipresence. If he can work with Marcy Myers right now, he can work with you. He can work with Cindy's life. He can work with each and every one of you who may be going through whatever struggle it may be. God knows and cares deeply for every one of you. He loves you, and he will not abandon you. God here searched the heart. He knows the mind of the Spirit because he is God himself. What sighs and sobs proceed from the impulse of the Spirit that helps us and prays for us. He says here, he makes intercession for the saints. That is the godly, the righteous, those that are trusting in God. And the Spirit, what does he do? He prays according to the will of God, the will of God, because here he simply teaches us, teaches the godly how to pray according to God's will. A lot of times when we pray, we pray, Lord, let my will be done. But really, as we follow the Savior's pattern, Lord, let your will be done. So when we do this, think about all this. Let's kind of wrap this thought up today. One day, this groaning that we have, creation groans, the Christian groans, and even the Spirit groans, but this groaning will give place to glory. One day, we will experience glory in the presence of Christ. What an amazing day that will be. The Holy Spirit gives us hope and help according to the will of God. And what is the will of God in the midst of our present groaning? It's found here in verse 28. Many of you know it by heart. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now next week we'll dig into that passage, but that sets up the stage. God's Holy Spirit working in your life right now, praying for you on behalf of you, will lead up to God's purpose and plan that will not fail. That is a beautiful picture that we have here. This beautifully captures those who live in the Spirit, who have been led by the Spirit, who are loved by the Spirit, and been helped by the Spirit. Beloved, you're not alone. God has given you His Holy Spirit to dwell within you, to help you to pray until we receive our glorified bodies. So here's the point today. There is hope as we receive help from the Holy Spirit. Praise God for that.
I must ask you this as we finish this message today, though. Do you know Jesus Christ personally? Have you been saved? If you're not a believer, the Holy Spirit's not in you to help you. (laughs) But guess what? He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus is waiting for you. If you're here today and you're without Christ, you're not sure if you would die today, where you'd be for eternity. There's good news. It's found in Jesus Christ and in the gospel. If you don't know, please talk to me. Talk to someone here today. Be glad to show you from God's word how you can be saved and your life changed forever. But for the believer, pray that you can take encouragement today and rest in the Lord in the Spirit.